0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers produce over 600 varieties, types, and styles of cheese. That's twice as much as any other state. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. So
3: you
0: don't shun the devil with your rock and roll, Lord. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in that rhythm and blues
2: that sound. It's gonna get-
3: Welcome back to The Speakeasy, I'm Souther Teague, I'm here in New Orleans, Louisiana at Tales of the Cocktail 2019 with my dear friend, Nicola Risk, the European brand ambassador for the McAllen Scotch Whiskey. Nicola, welcome to my makeshift studio.
4: Hi Southern, how are you doing?
3: I'm great, it's good to see you. It's
4: really good to see you
3: too. I don't get to see you enough anymore now that you live in Madrid, Spain. I
4: know, I know. That's why it's, I love events like these that bring us all together and we have a chance to catch up.
3: Yeah. I'm um, Really stoked to see you here at Tales of the Cocktail. And I didn't realize you had such a, a role this year. Um, you're on the new committee uh, that decides about all the educational seminars that go on at tails and there's like nearly a hundred of them this year right
4: the um, there are I want to say nearly 75 yeah, okay educational that's nearly yeah
3: <laughs> and
4: uh, but it's it's this entire year is packed with activities and I have been it's kept my days very very busy but I'm absolutely loving it uh, the ed, there's the newly formed education committee with 24 of us uh, on the committee um, its broken down into three different sections with eight people on each one. So culture, business, and then beyond the bar. And, and I know
3: you well enough to know your culture.
4: I am culture. Yes. What does culture, culture cover? So culture covers uh, the more classic seminars in terms of cocktails and spirits and trends and and whatnot. And so you know how I how I, I I'm always when I'm at Tales during the daytime. I'm always in a classroom, and it's one of the things that I absolutely love about Tales of the Cocktail is the education. And so to be involved in that on the committee and part of the the process and then see everything come to life is really really. Really special. It's it's a great committee.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, as long as I've committed. as long as I've known you, you've definitely been a seeker of education. Yes, we met years ago when you were working for USBG in New York, and yeah. and now you've uh, you know gone on carried on with your whiskey education. And then I saw even that while you were living in Madrid, you went to some olive oil education yeah like yeah. you just you just want to know things is what is what's going on I, yeah
4: in my I, in my free time I love learning I really do I'm passionate about learning as a whole and what's really funny is sometimes I'm so focused on whiskey that you know you just when your head is is focused on spirits all the time this past year I decided to branch out and explore uh, go just Pushed my nose and pushed my brain in different directions, and it brought me to olive oil. And uh, the irony of studying extra virgin olive oil is that um, I end up comparing it to whiskey. I end up comparing it to. Distillation. I end up comparing it to not distillation, but basically the process of of taking raw materials and making something really wonderful and, and consumable. Yes, and also that there are th- elements like blending, and then there's also um, a, a sensory process uh, involved with olive oil, just as there is with whiskey making. And so I didn't I didn't know that going into it. Um, olive oil just Moving to Spain, I'm a big fan of all things Mediterranean, the Mediterranean diet, and all, all things Spanish, honestly. I mean, let's be real. If you've, if you've been to Spain and you've experienced the food and the culture and everything, you know that it's, it's my, absolutely... My last trip
3: to Spain, the gin tonic literally changed my DNA.
4: See, there you go. <laughs> I,
3: I came back a different person.
4: Yeah. So with the gin tonics, with the, um, well, I'm a vegetarian, but people always rave about the jamón, of course. But for me, it was all about um, the olives, the sherry, um, the flamenco, all of the Spanish culture. And so since moving to Spain, i started exploring all of that because it's... Because
3: there wasn't enough culture in New York City for you.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's just... It's it's different though, and mm, and what's unique about Spain is really, all of the different regions are so unbelievably different. Most people just think Barcelona and Madrid, but if you go out exploring into all of the different towns, all of the different parts of Spain, it's so rich and so vibrant, and there's different language, there's different foods, there's different uh, different drinks, different uh, different dances, different different everything to appreciate, and so. Olive oil happened to be one of those things I discovered. I've always liked olives, but uh, it, 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 I, it it was incorporated into my diet, I guess, differently living in Spain. And I randomly, I literally Googled, I was like, hmm, olive oil class Spain. And this olive oil sommelier course came up in Valencia. Olive
3: oil sommelier. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's called.
4: Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, do you want to do... So they're tying a- the two words together. <laughs> Just
3: in their title. It's in yeah. and drink right there.
4: But they, they, they asked me, they said, do you want to do a certificate or would you like to do a full diploma? And I was like, full diploma. I had no idea what I was signing up for. But I was like, let's do that. And so I did. And it honestly changed my life. And I... So, so now you're
3: an olive oil song? You've got the title or what have you. Olive
4: oil sommelier. Is, yeah. Is but I've also gone out and worked with Master Tom- Millers in their in their factories, in their, in their mills, um, milling olives, producing olive oil. So I've gone out and worked with them in, in various parts of Spain. I've got friends now who are making olive oil in Italy and Portugal and Morocco, all over the place. So this year I'm really excited for autumn because I'm planning on making a trip to Italy for harvest and tasting more olive oil. And, and this uh, is
3: great because yeah. it ties in pretty well with what you do, right? You, you yeah. travel a fair amount already because of your job with, uh, with Lee McAllen. Yes. Um, and so that means that you can kind of keep on pursuing this because of just the very nature of your work takes you around, right?
4: Yeah. Yeah. And then oh, what's great is also living in Europe, it's very easy to bounce around to different countries. And so um, in, in my free time, it's like, all right, let's take a three day weekend and, and head over head over to Italy and go and explore olive oil. Why not? Yeah. And, uh, and it, that's, that's kind of the beauty of, of that region of being able to do that over in, in yeah, Madrid. Well,
3: Let's roll the clock back a little bit and talk about yeah. you know, earlier, Nicola. You toured around the world already. Uh, you worked with Cirque du Soleil.
4: I did, yeah.
3: What was your position there?
4: Oh, so I started off with Cirque um, back in 2006. I first worked with them in marketing and then I moved over to uh, tour services management so, I, when I was doing marketing work, I was working through a, a, one, of their, one of their sponsors, one of their partners, and the general manager on tour, he said, Hey, I like, I like your style, I like the work that you're doing, and um, I'd love for you to come to Montreal and help build out a tour with us. And to be given the opportunity to go and build a tour from scratch with Cirque du Soleil is an opportunity that people who work for Cirque, they, they want that their entire career, the opportunity to build to build a tour, to be a part of a creation. And so uh, I jumped at the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so I jumped in and um, took on the role of tour services coordinator, which was something I'd never done before and learned along the way. But, I mean, um, you learn how to drive forklifts and load and unload 60 semi-trucks. And I know. (laughs) There's there's that
3: passion for learning again, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's been with you all along.
4: Yeah. I also had a small part with the clowns. I was
3: about to say you performed a bit too, right?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, they had a small role. You, you,
3: you strike me as a clown.
4: Um, <laughs> thanks. I've actually, I've actually studied, I've studied clowning actually, and that's a whole other story. You know, I worked as an actor for mm-hmm, years in New course. York, and when everyone was like, "You should be doing soap operas," I was like, "I'm going to go take a clown class and then do Shakespeare this summer." That's what I'm going to do. And they were like Nicola, and that those were the things that I mean. Again, Shakespeare—it's really nerdy and wonderful language. Ah. Oh and just fantastic and then clowning is terrifying and so that's why
3: i yeah, did clowns it. are terrifying to a no, lot of people no 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 not oh, clowns. oh right right
4: i love clowns <laughs> i love a good clown charlie chaplin i'm was a teasing clown. you you know laurel and hardy clowns yeah of course And like brilliant three stooges clowns
3: absolutely and
4: like i adore clowns but clowning itself studying clowning, I, like, I'm like. i not a funny person. I don't think I'm funny at all. And I'm not. I'm really like, I am the person who, if you ask me to tell a joke, I can't. I can't tell a joke to save my life because I can't remember punchlines. And so, I... <laughs>
3: you got the other problem. Most people remember the punchline only. Um,
4: so, no, it's true. And so, years ago, so I've done clown classes. I, I also, I did a stand-up class years ago with, um, do you know who Louis Black is?
3: Mm-hmm, of course. Uh,
4: so, Lou... Years ago, I took a stand-up class with Lou, and I did it because I was, I thought it sounded like the scariest thing I could ever possibly put myself through. Pretty intimidating. And, um, terrifying, and I—but you had to apply for the class. And he was only accepting 15 of us and there were hundreds of applicants and I literally wrote on there, like, I can't tell a joke to save my life and this is the scariest thing I think I'm, I'm, I'm ever. one of the scariest things I'm ever doing and he looked at my application and was like, Oh, we got to take this girl right. on
3: <laughs> and, um, you put yourself in a position of vulnerability and that's a, that's a very learning mind, right?
4: Yeah, it was great. It was amazing. Um, in the end you learn that comedy is all about storytelling. Mm -hmm. and uh wordsmithing choosing the right words calculating Lou taught us how to tell stories and how to actually be able to evaluate each other's stories also and see where the haha lies in there like what what is funny and then where you're like that doesn't work (laughs) edit that out (laughs) but keep on going with this and um i learned a lot uh through that experience as well it was yeah it was we had to actually at the very end of the course get up in front of all of hundreds of people our our colleagues and friends and do our best three to five um, in front of everyone and so I had to get up and do my stand up routine which don't ever ask me to do that but
3: uh. do you get get a couple laughs or did you bomb out? Um
4: I got a couple laughs. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, I did a whole stand-up routine on um so another another life I I was a flight attendant um from when <laughs> okay, I was so
3: here again more travel. Yeah. <laughs> so so far your life's all about travel and education.
4: I yeah, I've pretty much been on the road since I was 18. Um it's true. I started with Air Canada when I was 18, but through being a flight attendant, it paid for college. It was an incredible experience. Um taught me a lot about hospitality, actually. And yeah, in some of the most challenging situations when you're...
3: Well, sure. Um, if someone in, at my bar is uh, giving, giving me some trouble, I can now ask him to leave. You can't necessarily do that on a plane.
4: No, no, you can't. <laughs> and you're, you know you're, you're on and, um, and, and dealing with all different uh, personalities, different people in, in different situations that have different backgrounds and are, and are under different levels of stress, sometimes for different reasons. Yeah. And you have to, you have to navigate your way through that. But uh, through all of that, I learned a lot about myself and um, and, and dealing with with different people. Exactly. And uh, I, but through that also, there was a lot of comedy, <laughs> and so that's where the comedy routine came from. Because we, I realized that some of the most severe, dramatic, difficult instances, um, there's always there's always a little bit of um, fun. There's always a little bit of humor lying yeah. in there somewhere because that's reality. It's, it's and, ancient. Yeah. Well. Um, life is is funny. It's you know. It's it's about finding those, those moments. Absurd. Yeah, it's about finding those moments and embracing them and learning from them, right? So yeah, of course. Um, I, yeah. So I learned about that through comedy as well.
3: So we've got a running theme so far that you like to travel. Yeah. That you like education. Yes. That you like olive oil. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> How did
3: whiskey start to play its role? Where did you step into whiskey?
4: So, whiskey started back in 2005, mm-hmm. and I really happened upon it by accident, but uh, that's that's how I ended up. A lot of these things happen by accident, right? Just I like think, olive oil did too. I think oh, my we just curiosity. De- we
3: just described that, right? Life's absurd, everything's <laughs> an accident, right? Yeah. Why are we sitting here with these mics in New Orleans? I don't know. We're just, here we right? are. But here we are, so let's do it.
4: Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I uh, Back in 2005, I was working in freelance marketing at the time, and I ended up uh, specializing in, uh, with my clients, I ended up specializing in high-end sports cars. Um, I used to work for Porsche. I know, and again, <laughs> car geek. I know. I like there to. is no substitute. And there is no substitute. It's true. I still I stare at those cars, the brake calipers, and I get <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> the sound of one of those engines, I adore. Um, and then I also ended up specializing in high end spirits, well made spirits, and through that I was introduced to Scotch whiskey, and I am a Canadian with Scottish roots. And in Canada we talk about our roots. I have Scottish roots too. Do you?
3: My name is Souther Teague. Okay.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I'm a Malcolm. And yeah, so I'm that's, a
3: Dunstan claim.
4: Yeah. My on my mum's side. And yeah. so in in and I, I grew up Literally like wearing the tartan kilt when I was three years old. I had those pictures. My great-uncle Mac played the bagpipes um, we had uh, Well, my great-uncle Mac had West Highland Terriers. Um, you couldn't we, we are very 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 Scottish Canadians and <laughs> in New York City um, We don't really talk about uh, the Scots very much mm-hmm. and so uh, but whereas in Canada I feel like we always talk about our backgrounds and we're still a very young country Yeah, and so when you think about it and so um, and so we always say, like, where are you from? And you don't say, I'm from Canada. You say, like, oh, well, I'm part this and I'm part that and everything. Mm-hmm. And so it was, I'm Scottish. <laughs> and yep. so I was raised with those Scottish roots. And so suddenly when I was introduced to Scotch whiskey, I felt connected to it. Because I was like, wait, this is, this is where I'm from. This is my family. This is my family's history. And, uh, and, I was, and I was curious. I wanted to learn more. But then I also ended up having some really great brand ambassadors who taught me about about Scotch whiskey, and they saw that I was curious and that I was interested. And they taught me um, how to appreciate my palate and discover things on my own. That it wasn't about like, here's your tasting notes and go, but oh, well what do you smell? What do you taste? What do you think? And and having that conversation and then starting to, I never knew it would spiral into this incredible uh, career of continued learning and mm. and, and with from amazing people in this business. Well,
3: I feel like you you got a unique, at that point in your life, you had a unique set of circumstances. You'd already traveled the world a lot, meaning you'd already exposed yourself to probably a lot of different flavors and aromas and textures, and, yeah. right? So you were at a place where you were like, maybe more so than someone else who just sort of spent their life living in their hometown. You had you know, experienced more. So now when you look at anything, glass of scotch or, or anything at all, you have a, a greater appreciation of what may or may not be behind the curtain. Yeah, that, so, comes,
4: that comes from my parents too, for yeah. sure, because just like myself, my so my brother also, my brother worked for the circus for 18 years and on the road mm-hmm. for about 15 or 16 of those years, but my parents both um, worked in the arts, and so they, they, before having us as well, and throughout my childhood, um, they were on tour, they were traveling, and so they exposed us to... Um, The arts, to the culture, to different languages, to different foods, to different flavors. Um, And so uh, I I feel really lucky that I was exposed to a lot of that, and at home as well. That's how my parents cooked. And so, um, you know, kind of picking up things here and there through their travels, things that they'd learned. And I mean that's what we do through travel, right? You get yeah. to experience the culture, the flavors, the the style, the heritage, the the people and, and learn from learn from that and, and, and uh yeah, and, and bring that through through your cooking, through your drink making, through yeah. your whiskey, through your everything, through olive oil, through all those things.
3: Storytelling. Yeah. Well, this is a great place to take a pause. We're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors here at Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Speakeasy with Souther Teague. Uh, I've got my very good friend Nicola Riskin in the studio with me. We'll be right back. Stay tuned.
1: Since the mid-1800s, before Wisconsin was even recognized as a state, its resident cheesemakers have been putting the art into artisan cheese. When early settlers from Switzerland, Germany, and Italy came to Wisconsin, they brought their cheesemaking expertise with them. They chose Wisconsin because the terroir reminded them of the homes they'd left behind in Northern Europe. The soil and water of Wisconsin is nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment, and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. Today, Wisconsin's cheesemakers draw from their rich European heritage and cheesemaking traditions and combine them with incredible innovation to produce half of the nation's specialty cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers never stop experimenting, trying to improve, and dreaming of your next favorite cheese that has yet to be imagined. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com.
2: Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Katie Kiefer, and I'm the host of What Doesn't Kill You here on HRN. Every week, I sit down with journalists, authors, scientists, or activists to identify and explain some of the key issues in our food system. I've done shows on food waste, labor issues, meat production, water, you name it, I cover it. You can find What Doesn't Kill You wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org.
3: Welcome back to The Speakeasy. I'm Southern Teague. I'm here in New Orleans, Louisiana, Tales of the Cocktail 2019 in my makeshift uh, portable studio. I'm hanging out with Nicola Risk from The (laughs) McAllen. Let's talk about scotch.
4: Sure. Yeah. Talked about
3: your, you know, what got you to where you are now. And I think you have, again, a unique set of circumstances that that bring a a whole lot to you as a person. Uh, And now, how are you applying that to the scotch whiskey world? What are you doing with The McAllen in in Madrid, Spain, of all places? Yes.
4: Yeah. So, you know, of course, I was based in New York before. I've been Mm -hmm. with Edrington and The McAllen for a little over seven years now. That alone is a lot of What
3: it does, Tempest Fugit. That that alone is a lot of longevity for your position in our industry, right? Yes. A yeah. lot of folks don't make it past like the three, four year mark. You're kind of double down at seven.
4: I am. Yeah. I, I mean, I love it. That's the thing. It's. Uh, it's. I knew that this is a theme, but it's never-ending learning, and uh, there's always something new to learn, and in this in this business, and with my brands, and in whiskey, and every single day. We're learning something new and being challenged and and diving into it. And so um, two and a half years ago, nearly three years ago now, when uh, Edrington, our parent company for the McAllen, they they asked me and said, how do you feel about moving to Madrid to cover countries like France and Italy and Greece and Portugal? And I was like, yes, (laughs) sign me up. That sounds incredible. I wanted an opportunity to bring our whiskeys forward and uh, learn study different cultures, work with different um, work with different people in different countries, use my languages as well. I was
3: about to say, how's this translating you for you for language? Because I know you speak French and English, obviously. Yes. Uh, what else? You got, Spain, you got Spanish down yet?
4: I'm, I'm not. It's not down yet, but I'm learning. Si, sí, aprendiendo, and poco a poco, si. Sí. Oh, I
3: like your accent. And so,
4: gracias. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: the little Barcelona drop right there.
4: So, <laughs> I'm, uh, yes, uh, little by little, I am studying Spanish. What's interesting is, uh, so I'm fluent in French. I studied uh, being a Canadian. I studied in French immersion from age five on. Uh, However, bringing forward whiskey and, like, learning all of the technical jargon, whiskey jargon in another language was terrifying. It really was. Mm. Um, Just... Because you're already communicating in 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 another language that isn't your first, and and you want to get your point across, and you want to go into technical detail, and you want things. And you're the
3: expert on site at the moment. Yeah, right?
4: and 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 whiskey aficionados, they want to go into all the little details, and so suddenly when you're nerds. Yes. <laughs> hey, I'm one of those nerds, me too. right? And I don't so. say it in a
3: bad way. I just like to, like, you're with a aficionado of anything. Me. You're a nerd. Yep. That's what you yeah. are.
4: And, uh, but going into the technical detail in another language is uh, really intimidating. And so grasping the language and being becoming comfortable with it was a huge challenge. And just getting into that flow with it. Um, and then I studied German as a third language, but my German is very basic now and so for three a lot years of compound
3: words over there
4: yes it's a lot of compound <laughs> words so I'm not using the German very much but now focused on Spanish um when I'm home and uh, I understand a lot more than I speak at this point um, sure um Spanish Portuguese and Italian yeah Ooh,
3: Portuguese that's like um, a tangled yeah. mess
4: well, my sister-in-law is Brazilian. Oh, okay. And so, yeah. And so I have a, I have a little niece. Um, anyone who knows me knows that I talk about her all the time. Indeed, yes. Yeah. And uh, she's three and um, three years old. And so I'm learning Portuguese with her. And so I'm always like, my Portuguese, I speak baby Portuguese. And so um, that's that's. Yeah, that's a fellow, um poco de Portugués, right? Yeah. And so I'm working on it, um, little by little, again, but understanding a lot more. But the first two years, honestly, in Spain, at the end of the day, I was just exhausted. My brain from translating constantly sure. in all the different languages. When I moved over to Spain, um, I was given 14 different countries to work across. And, um, the, and, and not a single one, had english except for ireland not a single one had english as a first language and so um that was a great challenge but i love it it's an exhausting challenge but what a wonderful opportunity to kind of uh to, yeah you're to,
3: racing up on chris louder with her for a number of languages oh spoken. my goodness
4: <laughs> he's he's up pretty on top of it isn't he
3: with yeah, his he mandarin just, and everything an app, like, i can't remember the app that Duolingo. He uses. Duolingo. do
4: Duolingo. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, I've done some Duolingo. Uh, I've done some n- Rosetta Stone. He has another app that's things. not even
3: language. Uh, it's not even a language app. It's a, it's a, um, a note card app. Oh. And you pile in the stuff, and then it makes you. It it asks you questions about the note cards, but it'll slowly ask you less about the ones you always get right, and more about the ones you get wrong.
2: It's like a,
4: a flip flip card,
3: something like that, for yeah. studying. We can we can reach out to Chris. Um, Chris, tell us what app that was.
4: Please, please, I do. Um, need, I, need, that's to, what he I uses, need to practice. It. That's
3: what he used to memorize all of his specs. That's what he oh. uses to memorize languages, and he speaks English, Dutch, Mandarin, Japanese, Korean. Are you serious? Fucking insane. Yeah, that no,
4: kid. that's 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 impressive.
3: That kid's nuts.
4: Anyone who's oh. Yeah, I would love to learn as many languages as possible. I, I've always been a huge linguist um, yeah. and I just, I really appreciate when people speak m- multiple languages. Um, I'm always impressed by it and whenever I meet someone and I don't speak their language, I never think, my thought has never been, why don't they speak English? My thought has been, why don't I speak their language? Like. What is stopping me? Right. And so I'm like, I better learn, I better add this to the list and start studying that language. And so um, yeah, i I'm, I'm working on it. Poco a poco.
3: Yeah, well, you know, little by little. Do you speak any languages? Uh, yeah, English, not so oh. well though. I can also speak. Uh, I can speak Irish, Scottish. Uh, yeah.
2: There you go. <laughs> Scottish is a tough one,
3: actually. Uh, yeah, well, true. So. Uh, listening to my grandfather all my life, I can again. I can hear it better than I can say it. I
4: love it. Um, have you ever? Have you ever studied Doric? No. So up in, up in Speyside, um, where the McAllen is, and a number, a whole, uh, up in northeastern Scotland there's Doddick, Mm -hmm. and that's a whole other, that's a whole other um, part of, yes, Scotch Gaelic, right? And so that's, yeah, it's, that's that's a whole other language.
3: So living in Madrid and working for these guys, for seven years though, you get to go up there pretty, but pretty often, right?
4: Up to the new distillery, yes. Yeah, yeah. Brand new, right? Brand new distillery um, and visitor experience. We've had that now for, uh, it's been open to the public for just over a year. We just celebrated our I'm, anniversary uh, last I'm looking month.
3: right now through my email. I don't I don't see my invite to come over, but I'm please, sure it's in there somewhere.
4: Southern, please. <laughs> <laughs> I would love for you to come and see the new distillery. And uh, take a wander through. Have you seen the photos?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I follow you on all the media.
4: <laughs> I, see, I see you out there. It's amazing. Um, I always say that when I, when I head up to Scotland, when I head up to our distilleries, I'm home. And it is my home away from home. Mm-hmm. And there are at the estate and everything. Well again, I
3: think as a, as a world traveler as you've been, uh, you know, you have a lot of homes. True. Right? You got your home in Canada, you got your home in New York, you got your home... In Madrid, you got your home with with the Mac Allen. You got your home right here with me in New Orleans.
4: And I, I believe that also um, that's what shapes you. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people say, well, you know, you're you you can only associate with your your roots. But I think that you create, you know, your culture, who you are, is shaped throughout your life um, based on where you live and what you do and everything. And, and so, you know, I, I say, you know, I'm, I'm both Canadian and American now, and um, and I'm slowly becoming Spanish. Yeah. And I love that.
3: Pretty right. that's part of my Citizen culture. Citizen of birth. Man.
4: Yes. Absolutely. 100%.
3: Yeah. So, so let's talk about some scotch. What's belly. going on with the McAllen?
4: With the McAllen? Yeah. Well, um... I'd like to we,
3: describe, you know, typical day in your life.
4: Oh, gosh. So um, my day... Um, well, uh, I've been traveling around to uh, various parts of basically Central and Southern Europe. I've been spending a lot of time in France right now. And as you know, the French love their whiskey as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so with, uh, with traveling, I work with all of our different distributors um, and get to go out and Teach whiskey, talk about my passion for the Macallan. Yeah, um, all that learning's and, paying and, off, and now you're yeah, an educator. Yeah, and have those conversations. I think that, you know, uh, I always say that whiskey, talking whiskey, it's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. Mm. It's an, and it's a constant conversation, and it's always changing. And I encourage that with everyone that I meet who wants to talk whiskey. Let's talk about it, let's break it down, let's understand it. Because uh, I think a lot of it can be can be misunderstood. Um, there's also so much to learn, and so we should be asking questions. We should be having those conversations. And now I, I, I am lucky enough that you know I get to I get to do that through sharing the story of the Macallan, um, talking about our new distillery, talking about how the importance of oak and how it plays into our new-make spirit, how it shapes our whiskies, how it creates something really beautiful in terms of aromas and flavors and natural colors, and exploring that. And also, um, diving into the basics of whiskey, scotch whiskey, and what that, what that means.
3: So. Yeah. Um, yeah, teaching is learning. You know, I've always thought that. I was, a, I, was an, I was a teacher myself for some years. I taught culinary at the New England Culinary yeah. Institute. Um, and I think, uh, you know, every single day that I would go in and teach my students, they would teach me something, right? I'm going to pick 100%. up something from them. So I, I feel like those conversations lead to greater depth of knowledge, and, you know, enrich enriches your... Your viewpoint. Even on a topic that you're the expert in when you're talking to someone who's a total novice, you find something that enriches the way you think about it, right?
4: Yes, 100%. And I, I love that about you also because you've always been, I think, uh, such a, an explorer of flavors, of understanding them and breaking them down and, and how they play together and whatnot. And it's, it's one of the things that I love with our conversations all the time is, Diving into those uh, flavors and those conversations. <laughs> Thanks. Uh,
3: yeah, when you lived in New York, we used to have some great lunches together. I know, I East miss Village. those. Yeah, they're, they're still there. Come on back. They're, they're right there. Uh, now there's new places to go. Um, you know, or come so, to Madrid. Uh, yeah, well, now, okay, two invites. do well, tapas. Now I'm, now I'm invited to Spain and, and Scotland. I love it. I'm putting I it, love it. I'll put I'm putting it in my calendar. <laughs> so I'm going to ask a question that I wish I didn't have to ask. Tell me. What, if any, impact do you think it has on you uh, the position that you carry, and being a woman, I think it's a conversation that I don't like having, but I feel like it has to be had.
4: Sure, yeah, one hundred percent. In the whiskey industry, in the industry as a whole, I
3: yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I feel like we're still in an age where people look at a woman and think you don't know enough about whiskey. Where's the guy I'm supposed to talk to? Is that true? Do you feel that in Europe? Maybe it's not true in Europe.
4: It's interesting. In Did Europe, you feel that
3: in America before you left?
4: Uh, I did. Yeah. Um, I have. What's interesting is within the whiskey industry, we're very fortunate because it's actually very inclusive. Mm-hmm. And so within the industry itself, I've never felt like being a woman has ever prevented me from learning or doing anything. Um, everyone in this industry is very giving, very open. And so everyone from our uh, distillery managers and master blenders and lab technicians and uh, Malt- Maltman and mashmen and everyone has always been like, Nicola, you want to learn? Come closer, come on in, yeah. you're welcome.
3: If, you're putting, common, in, if you know, you're putting in the interest, we'll put in the, in the investment, right? Yeah,
4: yeah. Throw on your steel toes and let's go and turn some malt. And I'm like, fantastic. Yeah. And uh, uh, towards the public, though.
3: I was about to say that's internal. I feel internal. We're all very accepting. Yeah. Right. I don't think of you as like a, a woman who doesn't know enough about whiskey. I think of you just—you're just a person who knows a lot about whiskey. <laughs> right. But that's internal. What What about I'm, the external? What about the the guest, the, the the folks who show up to your talks and seminars?
4: And with that? the public, um, I think that they're. Used to be a huge stereotype, and so you what's feel like slipping away. that's changing. Yeah, yeah. Really? in Europe, more than anything, people don't um, don't say anything about me being a woman. More so, they say um, they say, "But you're not Scottish." Oh, and yeah. I look at them, like, <laughs> "What?" Uh, so if I have an accent, that's going to make me more authentic, um, right. which I think is quite interesting. Um, however, what I have learned is. Having been in this business though for a long time, uh, for a long time, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I have a responsibility to to actually. I'm glad you brought it up because I have a responsibility to have these conversations. Yeah, me too. Um, I think it's really important that we talk about uh, that we talk about stereotyping that yep. we and that we break those down and that we debunk those myths. Um, being in Scotch whiskey, my job is debunking the myths. When people are like, you can't add water to your whiskey. You can't add ice to your whiskey. You can't make a cocktail with a sc- with a single malt. Things like that. Those are myths. That shout, I have to,
3: shout out to Jeff Morgenthaler for calling <laughs> out those myths in his book. Right.
4: <laughs> right. So, but the thing is, is that it's my job to debunk those myths every day, and I realized that I never knew that one of the myths that I'd be debunking is myself, me. Um, debunking, you know that, you know that only men drink whiskey, or that there's only men who work in the whiskey business. And um, that's simply not the case, that's not true. No. And, uh, and I have a responsibility to, to bring that forward, and I'm proud to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and I also think... Be. Thanks. You know, I also... You know,
3: you, I think maybe sometimes you don't realize until someone tells you, uh, I mean, you, you're a role model. I don't know if you know that.
4: Thanks. Wow.
3: <laughs> <laughs> like, there are ladies who are looking up to you, it's a fact. Uh, and, and guys too, but like you're you're a role model for women in in this industry in general. But to be uh, such a uh, a voice and a face of of a category that's so well, stereotypically masculine, right? Right? And you're this you know petite Canadian woman who's like out there talking whiskey all the time. It's great. Yeah. I think it's great. Thanks. I'm super like proud of you.
4: Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. I love it. And like I re- I really do. And I, I think that having those conversations are just about being a woman, even in this industry, yep. it's so important because I see, I see, I often see younger women and we've had these conversations where they struggle with situations and, um, you know, whether they're being, you know, someone discounts them for being yep. a woman and says, well, where's the bartender, mm-hmm. you know, and, and those kinds of situations. And, and I think that it's really important that, um, uh, that we don't react on the defensive. Mm -hmm. for me that's how you know when, when I get challenged when I'm put in a challenging situation it's about um having empathy leaning in sure listening um and uh and handling things with grace under pressure. Yeah. And uh, and yeah. understanding.
3: It's Ginger Rogers, right? You're yeah. doing everything Fred did, but you're doing it backwards in it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Trying
4: my best. So
3: <laughs> I think you're doing all right. Thanks. <laughs> Tell me the thing that brings you the most joy from your job.
4: Oh my goodness.
3: Besides drinking lots of whiskey. <laughs> lots um, of rare, unusual whiskey that I'm sure um, I'm never ever gonna see in my life. You probably have gallons of. I- no, <laughs> not all at once.
4: Always responsibly, Southern. <laughs> not all at once. Come on, <laughs> seven
3: years—you've had some gallons.
4: I have had the opportunity, definitely, to taste some exquisite whiskeys, um, which uh, yes is uh, is a wonderful thing with this with this job. But um, I would say that, if, and I've said this before, but in this business, it's the it's the liquid that that brought me here, that brought me into this business. It's the people that keep me here.
3: Oh man, I love that. And
4: like, it's true. Um, Again, it's a fantastic industry where we're always learning from one another. Mm -hmm. It's, yes, you know, I like to be in the classroom and everything, but really I find mentorship and peer-to-peer learning, I'm a huge believer in peer-to-peer learning and supporting each other and, and, and. Again, having those conversations and and whether it be uh, about being a woman in the business or whether it be about how to build a certain cocktail or whether it be how whiskey is made or talking about distillation or talking about citrus or whatever you're exploring um, or, or or how to handle finances behind the bar sure. anything um, it's uh, that 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 learning that uh, and that connecting with so many incredible people.
3: Yeah, we're so very fortunate to have an industry. That we're involved in, that's so open to that too. You know, yeah. I, I don't think we'd have so much uh, peer-to-peer learning if we were a bunch of accountants. You know, <laughs> those guys can't call each other up just out of the blue and be like, "Hey, man, I saw your Instagram post about that thing you did. Can you tell right. me how you did it?"
4: Right. They're be like,
3: Get off my line, dude.
4: <laughs> I never thought about right? that. Right, <laughs> but
3: bartenders are like, "Sure, this is what I did. Oh my god, it's so red. Thanks for reaching out."
4: Yeah. Right. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's a, it's an amazing industry, and again, it's that it's that. Um, uh, I I just uh, things like tales of the cocktail this week. I just I find so much inspiration, um, connecting with everyone here and uh, and learning and seeing everything that's being done and really like inspiring each other to see that you know we have the power, we have the ability to make differences in our lives and other people's lives and in helping each other out and um, and it's it's
3: yeah it's the people that keep me here yeah I love that I'm gonna gonna use that Uh, well this seems like a great place to wrap up Nicola what a great session sitting here with you uh, in balmy New Orleans Louisiana.
4: it is hot today yes it's hot (laughs) I hate the heat it's the humidity (laughs) it's true
3: as we used to say when I lived here it's not the heat it's the stupidity Um, (laughs) if someone wants to reach out to you and talk to you about whiskey or olive oil or or just uh, learning languages how can they get a hold of you if you want them to
4: Oh, Instagram, I think you and I both on our Instagrams that's uh, mm-hmm. N risk so N R I S K E uh, feel free to send me a note anytime, um, as well as uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, all the social media outlets and yeah. whatnot. But my my door is open. I'm always like, if you have questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, again, and when I if I don't have the answer, I'm really lucky. I work with some incredible whiskey makers and people who uh, have far far more experience than me, and I get to turn to those experts and ask them a lot of questions as well. So
3: yes, yeah, so you're yeah. on like a direct line to the core of the knowledge. Yep, exactly. That's, that's outstanding. So, uh, well, thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking uh, at Tales of the Cocktail 2019. Thank you, uh, let's get off the air and, and chat for a bit, and I know you got stuff to go do, but it was a real pleasure having you on the air with me.
4: You're fantastic.
0: Thank Cheers. you for this. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll, Lord. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul, though.
3: KKZ is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritageradionetwork.
0: Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place.